Welcome to Aftermath, the official podcast of the Math Citadel. I am co-founder and research scientist Jason Hathcock. And I am other co-founder and senior research scientist Dr. Rachel Trailer. So we are picking up with part two in a series that we started very recently. This episode is the second in our reflections on the book Quiet. Right. And the first time um, we had looked at kind of how the what she called the extrovert ideal and how it affects ads and what kind of challenges it brings for people who are very introverted yet trying to run a business because that flies in the face of the business stereotype. Right. Your your expected businessman is charismatic, extroverted, outgoing, outspoken, and embodies all of those qualities. Maybe not what you would see in your everyday introvert. So... Uh, the second part is actually discussing how this can cause some problems. Uh, this extrovert ideal is, in general, can be a good thing. I mean, you you want to, you know, if you have somebody in charge running a business or or commanding battle, you you don't want somebody who's hesitant, right? You're not your soldiers aren't going to follow you in battle if you're like, well. Right. I think it's a good idea to to do this strat. Like, okay, I get it. Yes, yes. And the book brings up that you know it is an age old question. It's like, do you do you act immediately even though you don't have all the facts, or do you you know hold off and make a decision? It's not like one of those questions that you can just answer point blank. There's a right or wrong. No, of course not. And and obviously, you know, there's a balance and a trade off both ways. But in this particular, um, you know, since we're talking about the challenges of being introvert in business, we're going to talk about some of the challenges of essentially presentation versus substance and that, that tendency. And the first thing to discuss is that chapter two is called The Myth of Charismatic Leadership. And it starts, the, the part of this book that struck me the most was the description of Harvard Business School. Now, everyone knows what Harvard Business School is, right? That's the cream of the crop as far as business leaders go. If you get to Harvard, then, you You basically write your ticket. Pretty much. And when I first read this book, I don't know if you felt the same way, Jason, um, Susan Cain describes the environment there, and frankly, it sounded like my version of hell. Absolutely. Not only that, but the way which the inhabitants, the people that are agreeable to that sort of circumstances, uh, it, it seems as though if I were to be there, they would they would say, well, you need to get a thicker skin or you need to you need to join in and be exactly this way right it it the the pressures there are not particularly tolerant to those who, even if we do participate in class, for example, if we were if we were there, and like, great, I'm gonna go back to my room or my apartment or my house and you know, kind of think about what I learned or talked about or read, and I just need to, I need to decompress some. You need to recharge. You need to need to build back some of the energy that was spent talking with other people, being, you know, doing extroverted things. Right. And in particular, it starts out with, you know, the essence of, um, of Harvard Business School is that leaders do have to act confidently and make decisions in the face of incomplete information. And... You know, if you hesitate, do you risk losing trust? So, you know, a VC looking at somebody to fund, if they sense hesitation, is that hesitation because that person is searching for the right way to express what they're trying to say? Or is there some 
potential issue going on with the prot, right? It does instill some doubt. The discussion in the book is that overwhelmingly the response to hesitation is to take it as weakness and or yes. and or vulnerability. As so, a, it, it um. You know, the description of Harvard Business School is it's social from sunup to sundown. You know, you don't do anything alone. You have study groups that are mandatory. You have classes where your grade rests on speaking and the amount that you speak. And the social aspect of Harvard Business School makes you the business network and connections that can make or break your career. I mean, it's it, that's a 24-7 environment. And, you know, if you go to this school and you're like, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to join you guys for happy hour. You know, no thanks. Um, I want to go back and, and maybe read a book a little bit. Even if it's once, even if it's just once that you say, I, you know what, I think I'd like to stay in this evening. It, it gives does, the impression that, you know, that's going to cost you business down the line. If that you're does not, not go unnoticed. Right. Um, and in particular, um, you know, the school, it's quoted, the school hosts live informational sessions and web pages on how to be a good class participator. So the tips that were given from interviews speak with conviction. Even if you believe something only 55%, say it as if you believe 100%. If you're preparing alone for class, you're doing it wrong. Nothing at Harvard Business School is intended to be done alone. Don't think about the perfect answer. It's better to get out there and say something than to never get your voice in. So I kind of wanted to, to talk about how how these ideas permeate the business realm. You know, how many meetings have you sat in where these types of tips come up, people trying to just get something in to say something? So like for me personally, I uh, I came from academia, like doing graduate instructor work to private sector work here in Silicon Valley. For my first job out here, the meetings that you attend, you notice immediately that if somebody is soft-spoken or just doesn't speak up in a meeting, they they become forgotten. Like their contributions, uh, if they don't raise them loudly, they will be they will be uh, diminished. Do you feel like in meetings you've had, um, you know, where somebody who was just simply loud was heard more, even though their ideas ended up being frankly stupid? <sighs> frankly stupid because that's happened that's definitely happened to me what i've definitely seen are instances where the idea is loud and it's presented with no room for interruption or you know someone to speak up and ask questions and then later on it turns out you know what we have to abandon this track entirely and do something different so this wasn't thought out enough even though somebody could have interjected with oh you know what i have a reasonable point to make maybe this isn't our best course of action and then later it's like oh yeah we had to trash that we have to scrap it and we're doing something totally different because nobody could speak out so in particular the reason that that we bring up harvard business school and its um its teaching methods is because of the extreme amount of influence it has not just in um you know, in the academic, the business academic realm, but literally at the top level of corporations and all the way down. So, you know, for instance, tons of World Bank presidents, U.S. Treasury secretaries, CEOs of huge companies, uh, all of them have graduated from Harvard Business School. And as Susan Cain points out, they have likely influenced your life in ways that you're not aware of. If you work in corporate America, an example, 
There's a good chance that these graduates have shaped your everyday life, like how many team building sessions you have to attend per year, and how much privacy or not you get in your workspace, or whether you know your work is best done through brainstorming like pair programming, or should you be left alone to actually do some, some work. That influence is so strong that the fact that the introversion is actively discouraged has a massive trickle-down effect to not just our working lives when we worked for larger companies, but it has some serious impacts as small business owners as well. So, you know, the people who are responsible for your open office are the people who like open offices because they're naturally social talker type people. Yeah, they, they don't really, it doesn't occur to these people making this sort of architectural decision or layout design that anybody might take issue with this or find it just really not ideal for their working environment. And that's how you get, you know, things get um, pushed into conferences. Like, I've taken um, the time to go to several conferences, both, you know, I went to the Game Developers Conference recently, and that was an um, interesting conference for sure. There's a lot of neat um, neat tech being shown off there. As a note, how many people were expected to show up to this? The Game Developers Conference? Yeah. 27,000. When you first told me that, I thought it must have been a mistake. When I first saw that, I mean, that's the size of like VMworld or, or whatever, and and you can you can back me up on this. I almost didn't go. You showed several pictures while you were there. It was not a lie. And this is not a conference that is open to the public. No, but- no. It, it and it, like I said, it was. I did see some cool stuff, but I mean, I'll I'll be honest. I really for probably a week leading up to it, you know, driving to San Francisco in god-awful traffic, and it was a horrible drive. It was raining, and it was awful. You know, dealing with parking in a crowded city, which is not something I'm unfamiliar with. I mean, I went to college in Atlanta, but then attending, I, you know, I had no idea how big this was, and what? attending a conference with yeah, 27,000 people trying to wander around. At, like, that, I almost didn't go. My stomach was in this huge knot. Well, and it's not like it was your first rodeo in terms of conferences. You've done your quite a share of conferences. No, but they've always even been the, the smaller ones. Um, Storage Developers Conference is pretty small. Tech Field Day is obviously a, a traveling panel. Um, but even those, even those, um, I still get a knot in my stomach. And I'm on video for, for the Tech Field Day ones as a, as a panelist. Mm-hmm. So. But these conferences... Um, they revolve around talking. Well, I mean, duh, right? Naturally. Like, that sounds stupid. But what I mean to say is, after a presentation is is done, you know, or the day is over, conferences at the end of the day expect... That's when the socializing really gets started. Right. Right? And it's not, it's not quiet, let's go find a lounge and a couch and sit down and kind of review what we heard, our opinions on tech, like whatever it happens to be, this is the time for even louder drinking and partying and all that stuff. And some people love that. Totally. Some people love that. Um, some people get really charged up by it. You know, like that's that's why they do it. Like that they is love why that a part. lot of people do it for sure. And um, 
they know that they can leverage all of that networking into a great like benefit for their business or well and that's that's something that's worth kind of bringing up in in the context of of us i feel like most uh, successful business relationships are not started over something like say a technical discussion but rather a party or a beer or some kind of large social event does that do you feel like that's the case Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, the presentation of yourself and presentation of your business, not necessarily the technical merits and or like your your ideas. It's on your personality, right? Yes. How, how much do I like you as a... I mean, I like you. Don't, don't get me wrong, right? I, but I have to figure out how to make them like me. Not like my work, but like me and you. And well, and it, it, in addition, at that point, the the merits of your business are actually irrelevant by then. Yes. Once that is put into motion, the sales pitch of yourself and your personality is all that matters. Yeah, I, I get that feeling too, and and that's kind of where that um, we go back to the the Harvard style of of communication. So, one of the challenges we had mentioned, I think we did the first time, was the notion of assertiveness over deliberation. So if someone is going to ask me a question, um, I'll take an example. Let's talk about something, say, anomaly detection, right? Uh, There's been some ideas I've been playing with for a little while on some methodologies, you know, to generalize time series analysis into a new space and with that, I, I think that I can make the notion of time series modeling simpler and thus anomaly detection can be more formally defined and generalized. So beyond the, the math on that, the key word there I said was, I think, right? And one of the things, the quotes was like, well, if you're 55% sure, then you got to act 100% sure. But I have a problem with that. I don't know because I haven't proven it yet. I have a really strong intuition. I'm pretty confident that it's true. But I think more introverted people who are definitely more deliberate are the types who do not speak until they are sure of what they're saying. And I feel like that has hurt us as business people because you and I both, when we're especially when we're speaking about our work, and work that hasn't quite been done yet, or applications, implement, or um, I'm sorry, implications of our work. I notice both of us, when we speak about it, we tend to slow down. Our words are measured because we're trying to say something very carefully because we don't want to make a statement that we can't back up. No, no, no. We, we speak a lot of possibilities and not so much of certainties. Unless we can say like, well, unless we've already done it, unless it's done. Yes. Now, the problem with that is when you're pitching something, pitching something and saying this is a possibility becomes seen as a weakness. Well, what do you mean? Are you not sure it's going to work? Well, to be honest, no, because I'm only sure when it's in front of me and I've done it. Right. Just like, yeah. I'm confident it can be done. But am I certain it's going to? No. I mean, first of all, I'm a probability theorist. Like, certainty is whatever. Okay. Let me sit down and tell you about certainty. Right. So what it feels like is, is 
as this Harvard Business School idea permeates, you know, and I'm, you can probably make yourself just crazy going through all the business books. In fact, I could probably even take a picture of it and all the titles of business development books are all going to involve how to get out there and how to really pitch something and how to get people excited. How to talk fast. How to talk fast, how to be assertive, how to hype things. But one thing that I've I've kind of noticed, um, and I don't know if other people do that, Maybe I, I assume Jason does, but if you already know that the per, a person who's trying to sell you something is is talking to you and trying to get you all excited. You know most of that's hype, right? That's because that's that's how communicate. That's the language of communication. Yes, is it's hype. And so, what are you probably doing in your head, even if you aren't conscious of it? You're calibrating back to something more realistic, right? Yeah, you're accounting for it. Right. Like, okay, well, when he says he's got AI, what he really probably means is a dashboard that updates every second with some some charts, mm-hmm. right? So you've calibrated back. Now, if if we come in, you know, and I um, um, and I say I've done some kind of machine learning, whatever. I mean that to its literal definition, meaning I have created an algorithm that is a feedback loop. In other words, it takes the output from something as data to put in. It continually updates its model or its output based on a feedback. I mean, I literally mean that, and and the model itself may evolve or parameters may evolve. But the problem is when I say something and I mean it, by its literal definition, if I'm in a world that exists of hype, that means the listener has has already calibrated my statement as, as he has experienced needing to do back. In other words, us being honest is hurting us. In terms of a sales pitch, yes, because our honesty has been taken. Like Once you do that calibration, once you dial it back in now your head. Now we look like we're full of shit. Yeah, that or just boring. Boring. Boring is probably the biggest one. I, I think we've managed to convince, you know, we have proofs. We're, we know what we're doing, but we don't have fireworks and loud, flashy booths at a conference and all of this kind of these. And I don't even think assertiveness versus deliberation is the right word. I consider myself an assertive person, but I think there's a difference between assertive and just talkative. I mean, mm-hmm. the person in the meeting that just talks because I've had this happen in conferences, right? I've so if I've given a conference talk, um, obviously I welcome questions, but you always get that one person that asks a question, but it's not really a question. It's really just them trying to take the mic so that they can speak and make sure the rest of the audience knows how intelligent they are or to draw attention to themselves or whatever like there's always that person that's their lead-in to just take up time and make it about them but it's encouraged it's encouraged i mean lean in isn't that cheryl sandberg's book like you gotta get in there you gotta fight and be assertive and sit at the table and as even mentioned in quiet those people in the class if they if they don't listen to the presentation of the lecturer and have something to say by the end of the by the end of the semester the professor thinks that they have failed. Now, the thing that I also think we run into is in the business world, I don't feel like people listen. So when I say that, so for instance, um, we're looking at applications of some of our research to the networking field. And 
we aren't experienced network engineers at all. No. So thanks to um, the Network Collective's Slack channel, I've had the opportunity to not only get a book on networking, but to ask questions. And when I ask questions, I honest to God want to like hear the answer. Mm -hmm. So I'm not asking questions and then going to just continue to talk. I need to sit back and I need to listen to what comes back. And I've noticed sometimes, not necessarily in this Slack channel, or but just in general, I'm asking a question or I'm trying to discuss something and it feels like the other side doesn't actually listen to what you have to say. They're just waiting for their turn to fill the space, mm -hmm. right? I think a comedian said something like that about like, you know, oh, hurry up and finish your story so I can finish my story. I'm not even listening to your story because all I want to do is like, you know, get the spotlight and tell my story at a party. I wish I could remember that comedian's name. I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it was, it was hilarious because it's so true. It, but don't you think that can have problems in business? So if you're being confronted with an idea that's fairly new or we're trying to work with you on an application, it's got to be a give and take. In other words, we both have to listen to each other. And I don't feel like the business world is encouraged to do that. Sitting back and quietly listening without not just at listening. I mean, listening, not waiting for your turn to interrupt into a lull, because that's what most business communication is. Not just watching for the other person's mouth to close and, and seize is, on the moment. That is absolutely what it feels like. And if that is what the communication standards are in this for someone like us who's like okay i'm uncomfortable just interrupting people that's uh -huh. that's rude what it means is if we're trying to discuss something or we're trying to say something and we're pausing that's going to be seen among the other people who are all climbing over each other to interrupt i drove me nuts in meetings when i used to work for dell like it was so bad i literally would just mute the mic i quit like i quit participating I wouldn't even participate. Like, there's no point in me doing this. And it feels, you know, that's that's hurting us because this type of communication style is not something we do. And moreover, the people in this sphere view anyone who isn't just immediately, like, so eager to jump into the conversation. That must mean they're smart. It must mean they're smart. If they're sitting back and kind of, like, have not maybe, like, a little frown on their face... But like just kind of a pensive thing and just like, you know, when they have something to say, it's like, hey, um, just just a thought. Like, you know, if it's if it's introduced more like that as opposed to, hey, you know what? Bang on the table. Well, when you see that, it's just like, well, obviously he's not a player. He's not in. He's yes, not a player. That's in exactly what happens. And that's that's a problem. And actually, there's a situation in the, um, in the book that's discussed. So one of the the um, exercises that they were given was to teach group synergy. I hate that word. According to this successful synergy for this exercise, they were given a list of 15 items and it was a thought experiment. If you had these 15 items and you were dropped in like say the Alaska wilderness and you needed these items to survive, rank the items in order of importance. And the whole group had to give an answer, right? You had to give an answer as a group. And the students were supposed to rank the items individually, then did so as a team. And then they score those rankings against an experts to see how well they did. And the um, particular instance of this was described as one group was actually lucky to include a young man with extensive experience in the northern backwoods. So, like, he, he lived this. Literally has probably had situations where he knows exactly he's an expert. Um, 
unique and, expertise for the situation. Right. And But his group at Harvard Business School didn't listen because he expressed his views too quietly. The classmate recalls, our action plan hinged on what the most vocal people suggested. When the less vocal people put ideas, those ideas were discarded. The ideas that were rejected would have kept us alive and out of trouble, but they were dismissed because of the conviction with which the more people, more vocal people suggested our ideas. Afterwards, they played the videotape back, and it was embarrassing. So what happened? You know, this, this um, and there's been studies on this too. The more someone talks, the more intelligent we perceive them. It seems very strange to me. I mean, honestly, that's how the influencer industry works. That's literally, they make money by talking. That principle. Yeah, I mean, they make money by talking because they're, you know, and some, some people actually are experts. And so you would want them to influence your decision. Like, well, if I'm going to make a decision on, you know, say what car to buy or something, a mechanic who spends a lot of time working on cars, I would listen to him. No, and it if, seems you to, know, if he had a radio show that talks about it, I'd probably listen to what he has to say. It seems to follow that among the experts of the world, some of them will probably be gregarious or they will like to talk. They will Sure. So that's not to imply that that people of the influencer industry, whatever the heck you want to call it, are not competent. Um, but they are viewed as more competent than people who don't speak as much. Um, I mean, even when we got started, you know, we were told we we got to put ourselves out there. We've got to be seen. We've got to be talking. I mean, part of it, we got to be seen because, yeah, it would be nice to know we people know we exist. There's some amount of that. But do you, does it ever exhaust you trying to be heard amongst the noise? I find it especially exhausting because I'm I'm coming to it with a few more hurdles to overcome. So I was raised in Texas. I actually speak much more slowly than I thought. And coming to California, I find that my my manner of speaking is slow already. And if I'm considering my words heavily, which I like to do before making decisions, especially vocal ones, then it is very often regarded as like, you don't know what you're talking about. Otherwise, you would speak fast and speak firmly. And... For my part, um, I am able to, to do that, to think quickly and, and speak firmly and, and all of that. Um, I mean, one of the talents I do have is thinking quickly on my on my feet. But I still, if I am not able to contribute to a discussion in a way I find satisfactory, then I'm, I am not going to say something. I feel the same way. And I think the expectation, I've been asked to comment on so much you have a math degree. Comment on blockchain. No. Come on. No. Why not? Because I don't know enough to have an intelligent opinion on it. Well, just say something. It's better to say something than to stay quiet like that. That's exactly what was told to me. But I don't have enough, you know, I have opinions. Sure, everybody's got opinions. But am I going to put those out there as as if I feel like people should take them, you know, as weighted pieces for their own decision making? I, I don't. Yeah, because um, you can consider how informed is my opinion really? Not as much as I feel it should be before I speak on the subject with the conviction that I am expected to. So if I'm going to speak with conviction, I'm going to have conviction that fake it till you make it. 
you know, if you're only 55% sure, then say something. No, no, I won't. I won't do it. And honestly, the people who suggest it, they think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, but this is the, this is the topic of the moment. Like, you know, if you're seen having a, an opinion on the topic of the moment, GDPR, data privacy, cryptocurrency, you know, cryptocurrency, blockchain, machine learning and AI. Okay. I have opinions on those, but and those are informed opinions, but... Well, and that's not to say that you don't give your informed opinion in the form of commentary from time to time. Well, that's, that's the thing is I feel like what's expected of, of us as business owners is to spend more time giving our opinion on things that we're not actually doing for our business than actually doing our business, right? Yeah. If you're just seen as somebody who gives an opinion on anything from, you know, the state of the you know, Dropbox's IPO all the way to blockchain to, you know, housing prices in the Bay Area, like just whatever it is, you got to have a strong opinion on something and just be seen talking. I have to wonder if that hasn't been a direct effect on us as a as a business, you know, um, that we don't do that. In other words, there are certain, to- I mean, there are certain topics that you and I stay away from. Yes. That we do not share opinions on. Because we don't feel they're appropriate for business. They're not relevant to any discussion we would be having professionally. Moreover, they're not relevant to our business. So, you know, why should you care what my opinion of the finance sector is right now? I'm not, we're not a finance company. So unless we're friends, why should you care what my opinion is on that? But it feels like to instill the kind of confidence in the general public, particularly particularly the investor class or the decision makers, as they're called, code for people who control purse strings. Sure. To be seen as competent and one of them isn't about the amount of papers we've published or the creativity that we have as mathematicians. It's about being seen as well-rounded and willing to talk. Even when you don't really have something to say. Right. And so as far as takeaways, the, the last time that we um, we talked... We acknowledge that we, as introverts, did have some work to do as far as bridging that communication gap. Uh, last time we had you know, figured out that our communication style of the more dry, factual pitch was insufficient, and, and maybe, maybe rightly so. Maybe there's some adjustments we need to make. Now, the takeaway on this one, I do not acknowledge any wrongdoing on our part. This isn't a fault of ours. This isn't a fault of ours. We, we are actually strongly condemning this system Mm -hmm. stop talking which is ironic to do on a podcast it's true (laughs) right doesn't it even that even saying like shut up take two seconds think about what you're saying and think about some of the repercussions you know some of the repercussions are you know once you get into this like extreme extroversion it becomes this war of egos and that's how you end up paying tons of money to acquire a company that you didn't really want but you got to beat that other guy because because you're not losing to that guy Right. Then you got that buyer's remorse to deal with. Yeah, your emotions take over. Pause and think. And it is not a problem, as I just did. You know, I paused to think about what I was going to say. That pause, that deliberate pause, is not a sign of weakness. No. You know, we acknowledge there are things that we as introverts need to work on. This time... There's things that the extroverts need to work on, particularly as it has effect in business. And what it, what it says now largely socially 
for you to be a business person. This change has taken place and totally pervaded what it means to be a good business person or to be a business person at all. Correct. And I I reject the notion that either A, we need to have an opinion on everything, and I reject the notion that that's okay. You know, you, you do not need this, this trend of, well, we just have to out-hype the other guy. Stop. Stop it. It's hurting everything because now... Now you're pushing hype and it's becoming a lie. And besides the fact that it hurts the people who are honest, you know, doesn't that get exhausting? Yes. Doesn't that get exhausting to have to outdo yourself and not in the sense of a product? Yeah, of course you want your products to be better last year than they were, or I'm sorry, better this year than they were last year. That's not what I mean. I mean, your booth at the conference has to be flashier than last year. Stop. And, you know, for, for those people that worry that, well, if I take time and deliberate, if I don't make this decision instantly, if I don't say something and get us moving, then I will be regarded as not a very good decision maker. I promise if you make enough good, well-thought-out decisions, it won't matter in the long run if you took a little bit of time to make them. I, I agree with that. And honestly, if you keep buying into this system of just say something just to be heard, you're contributing to essentially a degradation of business communication and communication in general. Stop. It's not necessary. I bet there's a lot of people out there that are sick of having to do that. They're sick of having to be seen talking in meetings, hoping to get that promotion because their boss only remembers the people who talk the most. Honestly, that's not your problem. Your boss is the one who should stop being so lazy and actually pay attention to the actions of the people that are on his team. And the business community needs to shut up and pay attention to actions. Maybe then you wouldn't end up funding the next Juicero or Theranos. On that note, thank you for sitting in and listening with us as we talk about this book and how it relates to our business experiences. See, we can be assertive. Yes, we can. We can make, look, we can make strong you know, proclamations after some time to think. Right, and, and we actually... Um, you know, as we end this, this particular podcast came out of probably a couple hours of discussion and um, deliberation on how best to discuss this, right? We, we discussed how to discuss this. Yeah, we took several, uh, several times we sat down and said, what do we want to cover? What are the points we want to make? And what is our, what is our well-reasoned point here? And behind that, each of us read the chapter and had to sit and I took the time to really think about it. What does that mean? How does this relate to what I've seen? You know, so this podcast you're listening to is the product of individual hours of work as well as hours of quiet discussion. And I mean discussion, not talking at each other. Right. Which is one one thing that, you know, as far as having a business partner goes, that's the most invaluable thing is that you actually are discussing things with each other. And if you want to find us on Twitter, the official Twitter account is at Math Citadel. You can reach me at Mathpocalypse. And I'm at Jason Agrifer. And we'll see you next time.